Let me say a quick prayer for our message, and then we will get started. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would make yourself known today through the words of Jesus Christ, that Jesus would speak to our hearts, that he would move us, that he'd move our hearts and our minds and our wills, but also our actions, Lord. Amen. So today, we are continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, What did Jesus teach? Now, if you read your New Testament, if you read the Bible, all the Gospels, you will see that there is no physical description of who Jesus is. I think Anthony made a point like this last week. And so, in order to get to know Jesus, we have to read his words. We get to understand him and his teachings through Uh, Things like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. We've talked about uh, kind of hatred. Uh, We've talked about relationships, uh, divorce, things like that. And this week, we're talking about revenge. We're talking about retaliation and feuds. So it should be an interesting week. Now, a a feud... uh, I don't know if any of you have experienced a feud or been in one, but you probably know what a feud is. A feud is when one person uh, kind of wrongs another person. And that could be, you know, they insult them, they say unkind things about them. Uh, In the worst case, it could be like murder or an act of violence. And that person or their family unit uh, kind of does, says, oh man, something has been done wrong to us, we're going to get back at you. And so they, they go and target the original kind of perpetrator and their family, and then they get all mad, and they go back and forth, back and forth. And feuds have a way of escalating sometimes into really violent stories. So maybe you've heard of like the Hatfields and the McCoys, these two families uh, that really started a war between each other. More recently in the news, uh, there's been the Bundy family, uh, kind of against the state of Oregon and the FBI, not a feud that you really want to be in. Uh, They can be serious feuds like this or, uh, you know, serious feuds of a different type, like Kanye West and Taylor Swift. Uh, When they argued over who was a better musician, Taylor Swift or Beyonce. I know there's only a small segment of you that care about that. How about someone, a feuds can actually be funny too, so there's like the Jimmy Kimmel versus the John Krasinski uh, Christmas prank war feud, uh, what started as an innocent putting Christmas decorations uh, in his neighbor's house has escalated into like a serious like Hollywood production that each year they prank each other bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, one year Jimmy Kimmel wrapped John Krasinski's whole house in Christmas wrapping paper. Uh, So pretty, pretty serious. Now, it just so happens that we're in the midst of an election year. And so there are political feuds pretty much everywhere. And it doesn't matter where you stand politically because everyone's doing it. We have Bernie Sanders versus Hillary Clinton. They're arguing over some policies, the gun control, uh, corporations. And then you have Donald Trump, who is in a feud uh, with Fox News this week, the most recent one, where he wasn't willing to participate in the debate. And I thought he actually said something kind of interesting. I saw just a clip on the news, so hopefully I'm not taking this out of context. Uh, But he said, well, you know, one of the reasons he didn't participate in that Fox News debate 
uh, is because he felt he was treated badly. And the quote goes like this. When you're treated badly, you have to stick up for your rights. You have to stick up for your rights. When you're treated badly, you've got to stick up for yourself. That's an interesting quote. So my question is, is that true? When we are treated badly, when we are mistreated, when uh, someone who whether on purpose or not, does something mean to us, do we need to stick up for our rights? Now, Jesus lived in a time when he and his people, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, they were almost constantly mistreated. They were taken advantage of um, kind of politically, socially. Their nation was under control by the Roman government. And the Romans did not treat them nicely. They, they did not hesitate to crucify hundreds of people just to make an example. And instead of riling the Jewish people up to overthrow those people that had stepped on their rights, Jesus says, turn the other cheek. He teaches them to lay down their rights. Jesus teaches them to do something that is not normal. See, what's normal is to get back at those people that have wronged us, that have caused us pain. And I know that every single one of us has probably had that experience in our life. And our first, our first kind of normal reaction is to get back, to seek vengeance. But Jesus disagrees with what's normal. Jesus disagrees with what's normal. See, it's normal to want to take revenge against those who mistreat us. That's really what verses 38 and the first half of 39 are saying. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Hmm. See, Jesus here in this passage, he is quoting the Old Testament. Uh, now, in, in the very first of the kind of the part two of this series, we really introduced what Jesus taught by going through the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are the blessed are, the poor in spirit, the blessed are statements. And in some ways, they parallel the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus. There was a man named Moses who was a prophet who gave us the law, the Ten Commandments. You've probably seen them in like Charlton Heston's movie, The Ten Commandments, or The Prince of Egypt. He gave those to the nation of Israel, and in the New Testament, Jesus is kind of giving a new set of laws, a set of laws that fulfill the old, old ones at the heart of them, but also are even stricter in some ways. And that was in Exodus 20. So we're, we're moving on in chapter 5 of Matthew, and Jesus kind of does something similar. He moves to chapter 21 in Exodus. So he's almost going along following the teachings of Moses in the Old Testament. So this is a quote, Exodus 21, 22 through 25, because I want you to see where Jesus is quoting from in the Old Testament. So he's quoting kind of a relational law that gives justice and protection for all sorts of people. So I'm going to read this. If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman, and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. 
Now, this is a pretty serious statement. It probably offends many of our modern sensibilities. But in all, in all truth, in all understanding of kind of the ancient situation into which this law was given, this is an incredibly good law. This is an incredibly protective law because it says uh, that we're going to protect a woman if she gets attacked. We're going to protect an unborn child. We're going to protect people. See, if you look, if you contrast the law of Moses, so the law in the Bible, versus like the Code of Hammurabi, which was also like an ancient law source, uh, you'll see that ours is much better because the Code of Hammurabi was what we call a class-based law. Now, we don't really live in like a class-based system where, there's a system where there's different classes of people. I know there are, you know, those that go to, you know, Ivy League schools, maybe those that go to state schools. So that's like kind of a picture of it, but not really. Many foreign countries have a much different system where there are actual social barriers that you have to break through. And the Code of Hammurabi said that is if, if you're in one of the upper classes, if you're kind of in the, the popular crowd, if you're in the, the really good crowd, then you could actually commit crimes versus people in a lower caste or a, a lower class and get away with it. So you, instead of paying a penalty with your life, maybe you'd have to pay a fine. But the Old Testament says no. People, no matter your social standing, whether you're rich or poor, man or woman, adult or child, you all matter before God. Isn't that beautiful? God cares about people. So Jesus is not saying that that this system in the Old Testament is a bad system. He's saying, I'm going to take it one step further. Now, maybe some of you have heard of Gandhi, uh, and he is, is quoted as saying, an eye for an eye will only make the whole world blind. And so we, we kind of compare that statement versus the statement of the Old Testament. Gandhi uh, was famous for like, protesting some uh, kind of British, British atrocities, uh, civil rights issues, uh, and he made famous this kind of way of uh, like nonviolent protest. He would protest atrocities uh, with... Uh, peaceful action. And I think it's really good what Gandhi did. It's good to overthrow corrupt political powers. It is good to to, um, kind of throw corrupt politicians out of positions of power through peaceful nonviolence. It is good to stand up against oppressive regimes and systems without ever having to shed blood. That is a good thing. But Jesus actually said to do it first. See, Gandhi didn't invent it. Jesus did. Gandhi actually followed many of the, tried to follow many of the teachings in the Beatitudes uh, literally. See, Jesus is, said, Jesus is the one who's saying, do not resist an evil person. Bless them instead. And his, his, uh, kind of teachings, the teachings of Christ actually go one step further than Gandhi's. Because he says, don't just not, don't just like passively resist them. Seek to bless them. Don't resist them. Try to seek their aid. So that's even more beautiful. It's even more of a hard teaching. And it's especially interesting because Jesus is saying, deny yourself the satisfaction of justice. See, justice is incredibly 
satisfying. We all want it. And what Jesus is saying is, there will be justice, but you have to trust God. You have to trust God for that justice. And I would actually argue that that's another reason why what Christ is saying is actually more powerful than something like Gandhi's. Gandhi says, yeah, lay down your arms, peace, uh, peace will happen, that will be the conclusion. But where is the justice in that? Justice is never actually served in that system. But in Jesus' system, he's saying, yeah, lay down your arms, don't oppose an evil person, but justice will be served. I will serve justice. That's beautiful. That's deep. We all want justice. That's why we love the stories of like Lord of the Rings. We love it when Sauron gets it at the end. More recently in Harry Potter, we love it when Voldemort gets it at the end. Our hearts yearn for justice because I think God created that in us. But Jesus says, let me serve justice because you don't know how to serve it. You don't know how to, uh, to retaliate in the right way. Only I can judge the hearts. Wow. See, I don't think Jesus is also saying that state, uh, the, when, the, when the federal government or the state government like, lays out a ruling or a judge says, here's the consequence for a bad action, I don't think Jesus is saying that's a bad thing. He's saying don't take it into your own hands. Don't seek individual retribution. You know what? This isn't normal. This is not a normal way of life. Watch TV practically any time, and it's all about the drama between people getting mad at each other and trying to get what's theirs. Politics, too. Jesus wants us to say, instead of trusting in myself and my own ability to kind of get that satisfaction, I'm going to trust in God. That's not normal, but Jesus disagrees with what's normal. See, Jesus does something else entirely. He insists that instead of uh, returning uh, vengeance for evil, that we return good for evil. Verses 39 uh, through 42, we're going to slowly go through them as we learn that Jesus insists we return good for evil. Verse 39, kind of the first half says, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. Now, the Greek word for resist, the New Testament was written in Greek, uh, and it's actually kind of an interesting word. It's the Greek word antihistamy, antihistamy. Now, maybe some of you have heard of antihistamines. I have a lot of allergies, so I have heard of them. According to WebMD, who we know is a reliable source, uh, when your body comes into contact with whatever your allergic trigger is, so pollen, ragweed, pet dander, dust mites, it makes these little chemicals called histamines. And these histamines are just a pain because uh, they make your face swell up. They make your eyes water. They make your nose close off. You, know, you get puffy eyes, red eyes. You guys, some of you have experienced it. Those that do not have allergies, I, I, I just covet you. <laughs> uh, antihistamines are these medicines that you can take that kind of suppress those histamines. So suppress the runny nose. Suppress the kind of the red and swollen eyes. Antihistamines suppress those things that make us feel uncomfortable. And Jesus is saying, do not resist those things that make you feel uncomfortable. Ugh, that's not normal. That's not normal at all. But Jesus insists we do what is not normal. Jesus insists we do not oppose those things that make us uncomfortable. 
He insists that instead we return good for evil, that we offer good in the place of kind of retribution. And since none of us know how to do this in our own lives, like none of us are, this this doesn't come naturally to any of us, Jesus gives us four examples of how to do this, how to to return good for evil. So we're going to go through each of those examples here in the verses. Example number one, when others shame us, we honor them. Verse 39, uh, the second half says this. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Hmm. When others shame us, we honor them. Now notice that Jesus says the right cheek. So this is my right cheek. And if I'm kind of standing, let's say uh, Anthony's really upset with me and and (laughs) we get into a little bit of an argument... uh, You know, if he's going to, like, attack me, it would kind of be a roundhouse punch or maybe a kick in my shin. But if he's going to slap me, (laughs) I wasn't planning this, I'm sorry. Uh, If he's going to slap me in the right cheek, what is he doing? He's backhanding me, all right? So when you backhand someone, what are you doing? You're insulting them. You're not necessarily trying to inflict a lot of pain. You're insulting them. So if you ever watch, like, a a TV show where, like, a guy uh, tries to... uh, form a relationship with a girl and doesn't do it in a really positive way and she backhands him, well, she, he just insulted her and so now she is insulting him back with a backhand kind of on the right cheek. Now, Jesus lived in a, a different type of culture than us. We live in what we call a guilt and an innocent culture. You're either right or you're wrong. Now, the culture that Jesus lived in was an honor or a shame culture, kind of like an Eastern culture. It was all about protecting your honor. So for him to say, let them slap you in the back of the face, like that's a, on on the cheek with the back of their hand, that's a, that's a pretty challenging thing. He's saying, let them offend you. Let them kind of mar your honor because that's not what's important. I don't think that Jesus is saying you can't defend yourself or like karate is a bad thing. I don't really think that's what he's saying, but I do think he's saying You know, are you willing to even sacrifice kind of some pain so that you can honor others when they seek to dishonor you? How do we do this in our own lives? It's really has kind of to do with your situation, who you're around, those people that want to dishonor you. Let your coworkers speak poorly of you for not cutting corners. That's a way that we can kind of take it on the cheek. Maybe you have family members that mock you because of your faith in Jesus. Let them mock you. We live in a culture that is constantly saying, you know, you're not good enough because you won't enjoy all of life's pleasures. Let culture make fun of you. That's a way that we can turn the other cheek. When others shame us, we honor them. Example number two, when others want what's ours, we give them more. Verse 40 says this, And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. Now, 
the shirt uh, in this verse is, it's not the greatest translation, but it's like a tunic. So a tunic is like this lightweight garment that really sticks to your body. It's very close, and it would go all the way down to your knees, your kneecaps. A tunic is really kind of like their, their underwear in this culture. But you could also wear it, you know, traveling. Uh, remember, Jesus said, don't take uh, two tunics with you. For his disciples when he sent them out because he wanted them to rely on the kind of the, the good graces of people, to rely ultimately on God. Uh, but they're like these, these things that you would wear underneath some other clothing. So if someone comes up to you and says, I want to take your tunic, well, that's kind of an awkward statement. Well, then Jesus takes it and makes it even more unnatural and more unnormal. He says, you know, if they want to take your tunic, give them your cloak. The cloak is like a... a um, Almost like a trench coat, if we're to compare it to today, it's like a long outer garment, outerwear, that you could sleep in, that would keep you warm. So if we're to compare it to today, a shirt is like a t-shirt, and a cloak is like your winter jacket that keeps you warm in the New England weather. And Jesus is saying, are you willing? Are you willing to give the cloak off your back for me? If someone came up to you and said, hey, I really like your sport jacket. I really want that. Would you be willing to take it off and say, you know what? Jesus has given me everything that's good. I will give this to you because you need it more than me. There you go, Anthony. You know, the interesting thing is, is if you lose your cloak, and you lose your tunic, what are you wearing? Not much. You're naked. Jesus is saying, are you willing to expose yourself, like, uh, spiritually? Are you willing to kind of go to the, the innermost place and say, I love you this much? That's incredibly challenging. When others want what's ours, are we willing to give them even those things that are at our deepest area? Now, I recently read a story, like in the last couple of years, couldn't find the source, but it was of a man who was suing his company. So his boss, a woman, had mistreated him. Uh, I don't know what the circumstances were, but she had mistreated him wrongly. So he got into a lawsuit with his company because they wouldn't pay attention. And he was going to uh, settle for about $5,000. So he got into this, this lawsuit rightfully. He deserved the money. But then God got a control of his heart, and Jesus convicted him that you need to lay your rights down. When others want what's yours, give them even more. And so he walked away from even the settlement from the $5,000, didn't take anything. And one day, that boss, that woman who had mistreated him, came to him and said, why'd you do that? And he said, well, it's because Jesus forgave me, so I'm forgiving you. And that actually led to her putting her faith in Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And later when he was asked, you know, do you ever regret like not taking the $5,000? He said, well, I wish that I had spent it sooner. I wish that I had been willing to walk away even sooner because of what God used this for. That's an amazing story of when others want what's ours, we give them even more. Example number three, when others bully us, we model true strength. Verse 41 says this, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. 
Now, uh, in the, so I talked about Roman oppression. Roman soldiers carried, you know, heavy gear, uh, whether it was their armor, their weapons, their supplies, and they were able to, uh, is it conscript, they were able to take uh, people from the culture, the Jewish people, and say, you're going to carry my stuff for one mile. I guess they couldn't do it any further than that, uh, but one mile in kind of the Roman system is 4,854 feet versus our 5,280 foot mile. I give that because there are a lot of engineers in here, and maybe you want to know. It's not really the distance that matters, but it's being forced to do something you don't want to do. And you know what? If, if, a, if Jesus, Jesus is teaching his disciples a hard thing because he's saying, you know, if they ask you to go a mile, go an extra one. And in that culture, that would have looked like you were aiding and abetting the enemy, that you were helping those, those mean Romans who have done nothing but treat us unkindly. And so not only are you looked down upon by the Romans, now you're looked down upon by your fellow people for doing that thing. But true strength is not in bullying the bully. True strength is walking compassionately and humbly and being willing to serve without complaint. Maybe some of you have been bullied by coworkers. Uh, your coworker uh, makes fun of you or pushes you around for not doing things their way because they want to succeed at your expense. Well, why not try to help them succeed? Just say, all right, I'll put my career aside. Let's, let's help you do a really good job. How about those of you who are in school uh, or have uh, siblings that love to beat up on you? How can you approach those people in school and say, I just want to be your friend? You don't have to beat up on me. How can, how can I love you? And if you have uh, a family member that treats you unkindly sometimes, how can you turn the other cheek? How can you say, I love you. I want to treat you well, even if you don't treat me well. When others bully us, we model true strength. This is what Jesus teaches us. This is all really hard stuff. Example number four, when others need us, we don't turn them away. Verse 42 says this, Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. When others need us, we don't turn them away. The ESV says this, Give to the one who begs from you. So the ESV is a different translation. Instead of saying, <clears throat> give to the one who asks from the, you, it says, give to the one who begs from you. Now, this give word is in the past tense. It's really this, this one-time giving. So Jesus is not saying here, you need to impoverish yourself for anyone that asks you for money all the time. He's not saying that. But I do think he's challenging our hearts, and he's saying, what are you holding on to that you are simply unwilling to give away to those that have need? That's a challenging question. I, you know, and it raises this issue of like, if, if you're walking down the street, like in Boston, and a homeless person comes up to you and says, hey, can you give me some money? How do you respond? Now, there are a couple of different ways that we can respond. I don't have time to go into it tonight, but a book that I would recommend that I recently read is called When Helping Hurts. So if you you're, want to learn more about how you can really care for the poor and the marginalized, whether on missions trips or locally, you can read that book, When Helping Hurts. You know, I, I do struggle with this issue because sometimes I've given money 
Sometimes I haven't. If I have like some food on me, like a granola bar, I'd give that. Uh, I've given money on like a Bible. Um, you know, it, it might be best to offer to take the homeless person out to get some food, ask what they're going to spend the money on. I don't think it's our responsibility to necessarily interrogate someone and say, well, you better not spend it on this, this, and this. I don't think that's what necessarily grace is. But someone actually called the church this week as I was preparing this message and asked for rental assistance. And I turned them away. I said, well, talk to your, your local social services or the, you can go to different community places. We as a church have to wrestle with this passage and say, how are we going to treat the poor, the marginalized of our community? I don't know exactly how we want to do it because we want to do it in a way that truly builds them up. But I do know that if you're someone who's convicted by this passage, that you have an opportunity tonight to put into practice caring for the poor. Uh, out in the foyer, there is a red box that is taking Haiti donations. Uh, uh, a couple members of Cornerstone are going with Emmanuel Church to serve the poor and the needy in, in Haiti. And there, you can donate vitamins, uh, baby formula, donate money, because it's a little bit last minute. I believe you guys are leaving tomorrow. Um, but you can talk with Diana. Can you just raise your hand, Diana? There you go. Uh, you can talk with her if you want to help out in that way. I don't think it's too late. But Jesus' standard is incredibly high. I have a friend uh, in Chicago, or he lived in Chicago for a while, and he was a student there. And when he would see, like, a homeless man on the side of the street in bare feet in winter, he would take off his own socks and put them on him. And one time he was on a date with his wife, and he saw a homeless man just sitting on the side of the street across from his favorite eatery. And he asked him, well, what can I do to help you? And the homeless man was, I guess, very cold and said, well, I need some warmer winter clothes. And so he sent his wife to their eatery, and he ran a mile in the frigid, like, cold Chicago weather and got him warm winter clothing. Man, I want to be like that. I think Jesus' standards are incredibly high and I want to follow him in that way. When others need us, we don't turn them away. Jesus insists, he absolutely insists, we return good for evil. But he also insists on something else. Verse 43 tells us that Jesus insists we love our enemies instead of hating them. Verse 43 says this, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So the thought in Jesus' day, as I've said a couple times, was to rebel against the Roman authorities. And there was maybe some, I don't know, uh, thought among the people that they could succeed in this. Rome was an incredibly huge uh, kind of government uh, war for us. But just within the last 200 years of Jesus' birth, uh, the Jewish people, uh, specifically the Maccabees, uh, had overthrown the Greek authorities, the Greek rulers. So they said that our grandparents did it. Let's do it. But Jesus says, no. Instead, I want you to love your enemies, and I want you to pray for them. Well, this is a much different way to respond. And Jesus gives two reasons for why we and why they were to act like this. Reason number one, God gives good things to all kinds of people. Verses 44 and 45 say this, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love them, pray for them, 
that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. I love that Jesus used, like, uses a family illustration in this moment. He uses his Father, his Father in heaven. Uh, but he says, you know, my Father in heaven, he controls the sunshine, he controls the rain, and he sends blessings on both good people and bad people. So that culture, agriculture, uh, they, you know, they depended on sunshine and rain in the right seasons to grow their food, to grow their crops. Jesus is saying, my God, my Father, he, he sends rain on good people and bad people. Why don't you do the same thing? Why don't you show kindness to those that do not deserve it, who have wronged you, who or who you know are evil? So what does this mean for you guys? What does this mean for us? Who in our life do we need to show compassion to? But in our own strength, we're unwilling to do it. We're in the political season. Maybe you're a conservative and you need to show compassion and kindness to liberals. Maybe you're a liberal and you need to show compassion and kindness to conservatives. How about illegal aliens? Those that are undocumented or in this country illegally. Maybe you need to show them kindness and compassion. How about Planned Parenthood? Those doing all sorts of things that are wrong and that are evil. Maybe we could pray that instead of just destroying Planned Parenthood, they would become an organization that protects the unborn, that truly loves the family. The Bill Maher, the media? How should we feel about ISIS? That's a hard one. You know what we should do? We should pray that Jesus appears in dreams to those Muslim extremists and that he would touch their hearts and that they would see the way and that they could come to know Christ as their Lord and their Savior. God gives good things to all kinds of people. We're to show grace to those that don't deserve it because none of us deserve it. Reason number two is that there is nothing special about normal people. It's kind of a funny reason, but verses 46 and 47 tell us this. Uh, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? This is a pretty simple reason, but Jesus is just simply saying, normal people treat those that treat them well with kindness. Like, we're nice to those people that are nice to us. Jesus is saying, be special. Be nice to people that are mean to you, because that's unusual. That's unnatural. That's not normal. Be special. Jesus insists we love our enemies instead of hating them. He insists that we show grace instead of uh, vengeance to those that have harmed us. Christianity is not normal because grace is not normal. Grace isn't normal. Verse 48 says this, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Wow, that is an incredibly hard challenge at the end. Jesus is saying, you need to be absolutely perfect. God has called you, he's commanded you, to follow him in these passages, to always turn the other cheek, to always turn, uh, to take off your shirt and give it to those, to, to always 
obey me even when others harm you. Jesus is saying you always must do this. Always, 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 always. You must be perfect. But there is actually hope in this passage because I don't think any of us can be perfect. I know that I'm not. I've already broken all these. Jesus gives us hope. Because in the, in the original language for the be perfect command, it's actually not a, a fancy Greek word imperative, well, it's a grammar word. It's not a, it's not a command. It's translated as a command, and I think the intent behind it is a command, but it's actually said in the future tense. He's saying, you will be perfect, therefore, as my heavenly Father is perfect. So not only is it a command, it's a call, but it's also a promise. Jesus is saying, as you try to follow after me, as you try to obey me, as you love me, I am going to make you perfect. It's not going to be in this life. It's going to be in the next. But I will make you perfect. One day, if you trust in me, you will know absolute perfection. You will have lived this out perfectly through me. There's another reward Jesus offers uh, his people in this passage, not only those that follow him of this perfection kind of idea, but he also says the words, your heavenly father. See, Jesus wants us to succeed, but he wants us to do it through a relationship, through a relationship with God. We can't obey Jesus' commands apart from a true and saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We just simply can't. You have to have God as your father. And the only way you can have God as your father is through Jesus Christ. But you know what? This relationship is a gift. Grace means receiving a gift that you do not deserve. So it's just a gift, a gift freely given. Jesus gives us perfection. He gives us the Father. And how does Jesus win us perfection? How does he win us the Father? Jesus does this by living out this passage on our behalf. So I'm going to go back through the passage, and I'm going to show you all the ways Jesus lives this passage perfectly on his way to die for your sins and for my sins. See, the Bible tells us later on in the book of Matthew that when Jesus was crucified, he was slapped in the face. Jesus turned the other cheek. Then they spit on his face, and they struck him with their fists. Others slapped him. Jesus isn't asking you to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. The rulers, the soldiers, the people, and even criminals mocked him. They mocked his honor. And Jesus didn't fight back. How about John 19, 23 through 24? Remember how Jesus said, give them your cloak if they take your undergarment, if they take your shirt? When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes. They divided them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom, Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's divide by lot who will get it. Jesus was willing to give the cloak off his back, the undergarment, that, that cloak, uh, that, that, that kind of T-shirt. He was willing to hang naked and exposed to fulfill this passage, but also for us. And you know what Jesus did also? When Jesus says, pray your enemies and love them. Jesus was willing to do that when he was being murdered. On the cross, Jesus prayed this. He prayed, Father, 
Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Wow. Jesus loves us, but he's willing to do this passage all on our behalf. He fulfills this first. And if there's anyone who deserves a reward for obeying all of God's commands, it's Jesus Christ. But you know what Jesus does with that reward? If you put your faith in him, he shares that reward with you. Jesus pours out his righteousness, his goodness on you. You who are wicked and unrighteous and evil. If you trust in Christ, he says, here's all that I have. So that when God looks at you, God looks at you through the lens of Christ. And he sees someone who has always turned the other cheek. Who has given your garments away. Who has loved your enemies and prayed for those who persecuted you. That is what Christ gives us so that God sees us through Jesus. (sighs) Jesus sets a high standard, a perfect standard, but it's a standard that he met And that he's willing to give you kind of the credit for that. And you know what? That is why we can succeed in obeying Jesus. We can't obey perfectly because Jesus already obeyed perfectly for us. Jesus already did it. That's half the battle, already doing it. And now you and I in this life, we seek to obey him and we can begin to obey because we have the relationship of the Father and we have the Holy Spirit helping us on our way. We won't always succeed, but in Christ we already succeeded and we can begin to succeed. Grace isn't normal. It does mysterious things. Do you know grace? Do you know Christ? Grace isn't normal. The first Americans uh, infected with the Ebola virus were actually Christian missionaries. Uh, They were helping the sick in Monravia, uh, Liberia. Dr. Kent Brantley with Samaritan's Purse and Nancy Wrightbull with SIM, Sudan Inland Mission. The first Christians, the first Americans that exposed themselves to a deadly, life-threatening virus were Christian missionaries because they cared more about them than themselves. Grace isn't normal. That's not normal. Grace isn't normal. In 1994, the Hutu majority in Rwanda committed mass genocide against the Tutsi minority. Over one million people were slaughtered to death. But today, Christians are working to bring reconciliation between those two people, the Hutu and the Tutsi. And it's working because they're directing them to the cross. And they're saying, look at what Jesus suffered so that you can know peace. Aren't you willing to extend that forgiveness to others because you've been forgiven? That's not normal, but grace isn't normal. When people mistreat you and they say all sorts of mean and unkind things about you, how are you going to respond? Are you going to respond in the normal way? Are you going to respond remembering all that Christ has done for you? that he laid down his life so that you may have eternal life? Are you going to show kindness because Christ already showed you his kindness? It's not normal to forgive, but grace is not normal. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for grace. I sure need it. I know that every one of these people needs it because we need you, God. We don't know how to do this life without you. But would you help each and every one of us here tonight go through our week 
and live in a way that is not normal. That we would share grace with those around us. Lord, I lift up the offering tonight that we're about to take. God, would we respond remembering that everything that you have done for us. And we pray, Lord, that we would use this money widely. That we would use this money to spread the message of grace. Of Christ Jesus. Of forgiveness. It's in his name we pray. Amen.